0: Welcome to the anthro to ux podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists, working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Anthro to UX Video Podcast. Uh, Today, I'll be talking with Rachel Fleming, who I'm very glad to have here. Rachel is a design researcher at Idea Couture, uh, which is a cognizant digital uh, business. And so, uh, Rachel, I'm really thankful to have you here. I Appreciate all the work you've done in this space so far. I've, you know, I've read some of your articles and I know that you're passionate about helping other people get into UX from anthropology. So uh, thanks. And I look forward to, to our conversation today.
1: Great. Thanks for having me. This is <laughs> fantastic.
0: So um, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, how you sort of got to, to the role you're in today and a little background on your education and, you know, maybe uh, just a little bit of the backstory.
1: Sure. Well, I discovered anthropology way back in undergrad and um, found it was a good fit for kind of um, understanding patterns about the world and getting to talk to people, find out what's actually going on. Um, And I uh, kind of hemmed and hawed about going to grad school and took a detour into urban planning. because I wanted to do something a little more practical, Um, got very interested in kind of work and the meaning of work. And then realized I wanted to go back and study that as an anthropologist. So I ended up in a PhD program at uh, the University of Colorado Boulder and did a project in India on women who are in tech jobs there um, in Bangalore. And Bangalore is kind of the tech center of India. Uh, These jobs have not been around for very long. And so I really looked at kind of the generational impact of women having access to jobs that they hadn't had. generations past and what that meant for gender equity and also why their attrition was so high. They tend to leave jobs quite quickly. Uh, and very briefly, it was because of, uh, many factors, but partly, um, unexpected, uh, sexism and kind of blocks to progress in the office that they didn't think would happen in tech. Uh, so, uh, during that project and during grad school, I was a little bit agnostic about going into academia. I thought, you know, if it works out, okay, um, it could be an interesting job, but I, I really liked the applied uh, side of research, and I knew that there were other anthropologists who'd done this before. So I got involved with EPIC, um, Ethnographic Praxis and Industry Conference, for um, Uh, While I was still in grad school, um, I talked to a couple of anthropologists who'd done this before. Um, I remember very early conversations with Melissa Sefkin and Donna Flynn that kind of set me on this path, and even before I did my fieldwork. And so I came back and um, wrote up my dissertation and uh, thought, well, maybe I'll give it a try. Um, By that time, this was maybe four years ago or so, uh, the business anthropology world had really become uh, UX research or user experience research. And so, you know, anthropologists have been studying organizations and business for a very long time, but it kind of um, uh, become more important in a digital product sense to talk to people who are using products. So I jumped off the deep end into UX research, uh, did a, a couple of kind of volunteer projects um, to get a little experience under my belt. And I can talk more about that later if you'd like. Um, and got my first job at a custom software development agency. And I've been going since then.
0: Cool. Yeah, so um, you talk a little bit more. You know, you mentioned the volunteering projects. So one of the things that I, yeah. when people reach out to me, they're always asking is, you know, how do I get to have a portfolio? And um, I oftentimes you suggest, you know, if you can volunteer anywhere for a local nonprofit, whatever it may be, or if you can mm-hmm. find a you know a project even in your own organization, whether that's in school or at your employer, whatever it may be, find a small project and start there to kind of get some wins in, under your belt in a portfolio. So how did you find these volunteer opportunities and like what was your pitch to sort of get your foot mm-hmm. in the door?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it took a bit of a, it was a bit of a slog at the beginning and did not include getting much income in the door, but, you know, I wasn't making much as a lecturer before that. So, uh, you know, I, w- I was able to float it for a few months. Um, so I, uh, I started out, um, taking a course through design lab, which is an online kind of, uh, program in research and UX research and strategy. And they, um, it's a, it's a four to five week course, They set you up with a real mentor who's in UX. They're usually a designer. because They don't really have necessarily researchers. Maybe they do now. This was a while ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can do like a little dummy project of your own. So that wasn't really a a real project, but I had at least um, exposure to some of the deliverables that would be expected. You know, I did an empathy map. I did a storyboard. I did um, a small journey map. I did a little bit of uh, usability testing, Uh, just some small things, uh, personas. And I, I, so I had, I had some idea of that. And then I started interviewing for jobs. And I I kept getting to kind of the final round, and then not getting the job because I didn't have experience. And I just got frustrated. So um, I went to Boulder Startup Week, which was a great opportunity, you know, when things are in person again, It's a little easier to meet people. There are ways to do it, though, in a remote world, um, to reach out to people. And I met two um, female founders of startups who uh, were interesting, and I kind of reached out to them and just said, hey, could you use some some work? Uh, so I did month-long projects for each of them kind of concurrently, um, spent about four weeks, and it was so much easier to interview after doing those two projects because I had something to talk about. You know, I, I um, could actually speak to working in a space. Um, so, you know, one was, was kind of, they were dependent on the problems that the startups were having. Uh, one was for a study abroad software. And so I talked to students um, at university. I kind of talked to people who were using the software. I talked to people who are using a competitor software, figuring out kind of like where the gaps were. Mm-hmm. Um, making some recommendations there. Uh, and then uh, I learned kind of the, the value of stakeholder interviews during that project. Cause you know, half of what you do is research with the people you're doing the project for. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then I did another one in the healthcare space. Um, it was a, a, an app that was intended to make healthcare more equitable and accessible. So did some research with community health clinics and it, it was really helpful. I mean, I, I was very open to whatever they needed me to do. And um, it's, been, it's been valuable. It was absolutely valuable. And, I, you know, there's issues with doing volunteer projects. I think you should get paid for work you do. Uh, sure. But when you're just getting started, it's important to just have a little bit of experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough thing to recommend to anybody that they do free work, um, but yeah. you know, somehow you got to find the work. And you brought up another point in there that yeah. is something that comes up with people I talk to a lot, which is, you know, when it comes to boot camps or in your case, you know, like the design lab uh, program most, like you say, are design focused, you know, very few I've come across a research focused, And so I oftentimes caution to people that, you know, if they want to do one, that's great. But just keep in mind that probably most things you're going to do are like producing designed assets and, you know, the research component might be one week or, or whatever. Okay. And, um, you know, I think that's, it's good to reiterate that just so that people maybe don't, possibly spend many thousands of dollars in some cases, you know, if that's not what they're looking for and it brings up the distinction between UX research and UX design. And, you know, just it's good to always kind of make that distinction so that I think a lot of anthropologists are interested in the research piece and less in the design. So it's, I think it's just helpful to call that out for anybody listening. So um, aside from design lab, did you do anything else to upscale? You know, obviously there's some tech, language, some business language, you know, some, some basic Mm -hmm. knowledge that's helpful. Did you, did you look at any other, do you do any other certs online or anything that, you know, will help you sort of make the transition?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and the, the design lab course, I like that because it wasn't very expensive. Um, So I I recommend that because it's, it's not, you know, unless you can swing it, um, it's not really worth doing more school uh, after you've already done a bunch of school. Uh, <laughs> to switch over, unless you're really interested in design, um, in which case the bootcamp might be useful. Uh, uh, I think that um, the, the most upskilling that I did um, was I I'd kind of networked with some local people who were in the UX research space and asked them, you know, where would you recommend I start? And they gave me some really good resources. Um, IDEO has a lot you know, on, on iterative design, and I started kind of learning about design thinking and um, how you can use that kind of problem-solving approach um, for research projects. Uh, and I also um, just did a little bit of uh, Google research on UX research and just tried to figure out, you know, what, what are the deliverables that you're expected to produce? How, how should this look? Um, I did a little research on agile product development as well, because a lot of this research goes into uh, a product development uh, process, and you have to kind of figure out how to fit that in. Um, honestly, I didn't really learn how that all worked until I worked in an agile development shop <laughs> and um, was working closely with designers and developers, um, figuring out, you know, how is a backlog built? What is a user story? How does research go into these things? Um, How do you build a good prototype and then test that? And those are things that are hard to learn without doing them, but you can learn about them beforehand.
0: Did your first custom software development company, were they agile or, or did you start in another environment and move to agile?
1: No, they were agile. So I've been working in that environment since then.
0: That's great, and so you know, obviously, there's uh, the agile space is very different than than academia in terms of the pace and the cadence that we're you know building and releasing products. So, were there any particular challenges there for you?
1: Of course, of course. I mean, the uh, the pace is much faster, and um, you're kind of asked to turn research around very quickly. And I think it's helpful to remember that this is research for completely different goals in academia. You know, academia is a little, you know, you have the time to kind of um, understand something in a more holistic sense. And these uh, agile, or you know, product development questions are often very targeted. You know, like, what do um, insurance agents in this particular industry struggle with? And what do they need in terms of, you know, something that software can provide them? And it's good to know their context. And it's good to bring that holistic viewpoint uh but you do have to turn it around quickly. So as as I as I tell people, you know, anything is possible. <laughs> you can put any kind of constraints on research that you want. Um, there are limitations to what you can produce in a given time um, with the resources that you have. And so you can you can say, you know, yes, I can take three weeks to do this, and this is what you'll get out of that. Um it's good to not, you know, overpromise. Sure. Always.
0: (laughs) Do you ever, um, you know, sort of state it as, you know, we can do it in three weeks and you'll get this, or we could do it in six weeks and you'll get this like, and let them pick or
1: I have started to, yeah. Sometimes I do research proposals in kind of the silver, gold, platinum format, Mm you know, and, and I want them to choose the middle one. So, so you can kind of say, here's the bare bones, here's the like mid range. And then here's all the stops. You know, and then and then they usually pick the middle, um, but it's nice for them to have a choice.
0: Yeah, yeah, I find the same. And I, I uh, you know, I try to always give them the options, let them know what the outcome may be, and then it's okay. you know the outcome is their decision ultimately. You know what they want to get out of it, and especially in consulting, right when there's sort of a fee for service hour to it, it's I think it's helpful to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, you're obviously we're talking about the pace here of being quicker. Tell me a little bit. Of, Tell me some other things about what your day looks like. I mean, you know, You're not researching all the time. There's lots of other duties as a UX researcher, right? There's lots of non-research duties. So what does a typical Absolutely. sort of day, week, month look
1: like for you? Sure. So, so most of what I do is not the actual research. and uh, But it's always helpful to under to remember, you know, no matter what I'm doing, I do feel like I have a responsibility to be the voice of the people who I'm talking to. Um, and that's the, the way for the organizations to kind of know what's going on with them. So that really does motivate me. Um, I think that I spend quite a lot of time scoping projects. Uh, I, I work for consultancy now, so I do um, business development and writing research proposals, kind of figuring out, you know, what should this look like? How much time will this take? What activities should we do? Um, and you can kind of, um, it's hard to get a sense of you know what future projects will take, and you want it to be a good project for whoever takes it up in the end. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's good to kind of learn about scoping and and what is needed in a project, so you can do that. Uh, I also uh, do a lot, kind of after the you know research phase is finished, you know synthesizing data, analyzing, getting insights, and then using that. To um, help the stakeholder team. And we do a lot of workshops with stakeholders. Uh, we do a lot of kind of interactive um, uh, meetings, not just, just readouts mm-hmm. you know, of what we found. Um, so it's really uh, using that research data to make decisions and um, build you know, what, what the product's going to look like.
0: And so, you know, in terms of the interactive presentations, do you find that that is helpful? You know, does that lend itself to people sort of uh, really, you know, embody like uh, really taking on the findings and and,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: helping you more or less sell it?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's invaluable. I think um, if you give people a chance, you know, stakeholders a chance to really, Look at the data themselves, and then say, you know, what they think is most important. They vote on things. They move stickies around. We're doing all remote workshops now, so we use Miro a lot, mm-hmm. um, and, and they really get into it. Um, they get invested in it, and they have good discussions. And they, you know, that's where a lot of the work gets done. I think is is having them interact with the data.
0: And as it relates to scoping, so obviously when when sort of, you know, scoping out a project, you have to decide given, given time cost, all of those sort of variables, right? What methods, you know, and the, the given need at hand, you know, what methods are we going to use? Can we get, you know, X done in such amount of time? So how does your anthropological schooling sort of lend itself to that? You know, like, do you find your, yourself using certain methods more than others in the UX world? You Can you talk about all that?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I think I'm, of course, at home with uh, qualitative methods and interviews because I've just done a ton of those. Uh, and, um, uh, but I I find that I'm using more and more um, kind of concepts in those interviews and kind of having people react to something. So it's it's kind of a prototype test, but more like a concept assessment. Um, so have, you know, do maybe some generative work in the early on in the interview to kind of figure out what they're doing currently and then show them something and say, you know, how would you use this? Is this useful to you? What would you do with this? What you know, what would you suggest? All of those things. And I think that's something that I never used to do in my anthropological work <laughs> is have them kind of work with a thing Uh I also have become more comfortable with, um, I I work with behavioral scientists now who do a lot of surveys Mm -hmm. and I think that data can be incredibly useful. Uh, So kind of, I've become more comfortable integrating survey data with my interview um, data as well.
0: And in um, what order, you know, are you using sort of your qual to influence that and to influence the survey design or you're learning from the survey and then,
1: uh, it depends on the design of the project. We actually just did one where we used a survey to help structure the interviews and diary studies. And then that informed another survey yeah, that we did. So so it was kind of like a tiered approach, mm-hmm. um, which was fantastic. It worked yeah, really great. well.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Using them together in a very iterative way is helpful for sure. Mm-hmm. So... You wrote an article in the American Ethnologist that's, you know, a really great article that I think all the listeners should check out, you know, if they sort of Google your name in American Ethnologist, they'll find it, but it's, and we'll put it in the show notes. But in there, you speak of anthropological thinking, you know, and it's um, obviously... There are certain things that we learn in an academic program that, you know, I think we would agree lend itself to that. But, you know, that that was a really nice piece of that article. So would you mind elaborating on that and and sharing with the listeners what, you know, how you view anthropological thinking?
1: Sure, sure. I think um, it it has to do with kind of an iterative thinking in scale. So we're, we're very used to kind of looking at the details of things and then pulling back to abstraction. And we have to do that over and over in doing field work and then figuring out, you know, what does it mean? Um, and we do that also in the reading that we do um, in an anthropological program. You know, you have to read something and then you have to think about it abstractly. And it it just, um, it's a skill that I think we become used to. And that's very helpful because often in UX research, you kind of lose sight of what the woods are like, because you're in the trees so much. And and it's really our job, I think, to get that detail and then be able to put it into a context and say, you know, why does this matter? What is the value of this? What is the larger question we're asking? Are we even asking the right questions? And I think anthropologists are skeptics, and we're good at that. We're good at saying, you know, you're making a lot of assumptions here, um, let's go see if those assumptions check out before we go and do this whole big project. Um, and, and so I think that helps the UX research process because it's really about making good decisions and figuring out how to spend valuable dollars um, in developing a product. It takes a lot to develop a product, and it's a big pain if you have to rework something sure. or if you develop something that isn't use it uh, useful and people don't like it. <laughs> and people or people can't figure out how to use it. So um, I think we're we're also um, very good at kind of listening. And this helps us within organizations and in our jobs is kind of listening to people who might use products. Uh, but especially within organizations, we can be um, really good mediators. And kind of like negotiate between, you know, the design team and the product strategy team and the developers or the tech leads or the architects and kind of get everybody onto the same page about why are we doing this thing? And what do we need to keep sight of? Um, and that's that's also a valuable skill. Um, I, I also think we're very open to kind of ambiguity. A lot of mm-hmm. UX research and product development is very ambiguous. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you don't know what the right answer is. And so I think anthropologists kind of sit well in that space mm-hmm. um, because we're often asking these big questions that don't have real answers, not definitive answers. You know, we're, we're looking at things that are fundamentally, you know, they're pretty subjective. They, they have to do with meaning. Um, they have to do with value. And those are hard things to define. True. So we're, we're good at negotiating those waters that can be a little difficult.
0: Yeah, you know, so the, they're hard to define, but they are also um, sometimes hard to convince people of, I find, you know, in, oh, in sure. the end. And so, you know, that gets to sort of a topic that I, I ask a lot of people who work in the space. And I'm always interested in, you know, how are different practitioners essentially, Systematizing, or maybe not systematizing, you know, in any formal way. But how, you know, and it, how are you? What are you doing to preserve your findings for organizational memory? Because I've, hmm. I, I've seen, uh, you know, I've done myself research where you know there's this finding. We it's very applicable in the short term, but you know, you're a year on, and people are seeming to forget, you know, the the previous finding and how that relates to the product strategy. And uh, sure. so, do you do anything personally or organizationally, if you can speak about it, that you know, tries to systematize those findings or, or tries to hmm. preserve them and may, or make them searchable? Anything in that space? Uh,
1: I think we've uh, uh, where I, when I worked at I, I worked at a product accelerator for two years before um, this position in the consultancy, and we did create kind of a research repository. There. Um, and I don't know if anyone ever looked at it except researchers, (laughs) but but it was useful for researchers. We, we created a wiki, um, on Confluence, which was actually, that was more useful because developers use Confluence. Mm -hmm. Um, they love it. And, um, so they could go to our website essentially and kind of learn more about our process, learn more about, you know, what we do. We had like things on there, like how to take good research notes, um, uh, you know, what we found in certain projects. We did research snapshots where we kind of summed up, you know, how a project went. We did some lunch and learn presentations um, talking about, you know, how we'd made impact with different projects. So I think, you know, reaching the audience where they are is important. Uh, in terms of research repository, I have not seen something that works terribly well yet. Um, although I know a lot of places are trying I think for me, the thing that stays um, a, a, in an organization, and this is true of where I am now, is kind of the process, you know, like figuring out, you know, how do you do a project? And we've created kind of an, um, uh, an insights uh, playbook to uh, walk people through, you know, what is, um, how do you uh, start a project? How do you scope it? What do you think about Um, What's the timeline? What are your deliverables like? Um, How do you create them? What's the format? And, you know, it's it's not set in stone. There are a lot of different options of how to Mm -hmm. do it. But I think those are probably the most valuable assets that an organization can work on um, to preserve kind of at least the way they approach research.
0: So, you know, one thing that comes to mind when you say all that is there's really a lot of project management sort of activities in there, if you will, yeah. which I don't think a lot of, say, students or even early career, early to mid-career anthropologists who might not be in tech are anticipating. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as you come into tech, I think we we have to take on a lot of that. And it pretty quick. Um, and so... You know, I know we already kind of talked about some upskilling, but is there anything that you did particularly around like project management um, or was it just sort of self-study?
1: You know, I, I wish I'd done more of that. That would have been super helpful. Um, I think the the product management skills that I took in to, uh, to this career were designing my own research and running it. And then I did a lot of organizing of conferences of um, – Uh, panels of various, you know, group events. And that was sort of like something that I was really involved in in grad school. And I think those skills were kind of helpful because you kind of can like put together a program based on a bunch of different people doing different things. Um, And you know about timelines and you know about deadlines and can kind of organize people that way. Uh, So I think it would be incredibly helpful to take product management Uh, classes or do something a little more formal i know there's a lot of certifications on the web there are things you can um kind of courses you can go through to learn about it um and i i don't know if it needs to be specific to tech or not i think that would be useful um learning about you know agile project or agile product management Mm -hmm. would definitely be useful
0: yeah i agree yeah. So you, you talked about previously, you talked about the lunch and learns. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, you sort of shopping around the findings, right. And, and a part of that I think is, or related to that at least is the, another big topic that oftentimes comes up in, you know, when I'm talking to UXers and when I'm talking to just the business anthropology community at large, and that's, it's like the, the general topic about how do we sort of gauge, you know, the impact of our work, um, I think in UX that can be a little easier than maybe in like an organizational anthropology or, or, or anthropologists who are working in branding. It, it seems like, you know, we with sort of the analytics platforms maybe have like a little bit more of a concrete way to do that oftentimes, mm-hmm. but do you have any thought on, you know, like how, um, you know, how do you gauge the impact of your own research or how do the, you know, the stakeholders that you're selling it to gauge that?
1: Oh gosh, it's hard. It's hard to come up with, you know, real, um, uh, measurable indicators of impact. And um, sometimes uh, it's kind of like um, you have to think about development effort and kind of like, you know, how, how much effort would this thing have been that we didn't build because research told you it wasn't valuable? <laughs> and that's kind of like, how much money did you not spend? Um, and, and, which is hard to measure. Uh, I think, Success of a project can be measured maybe in kind of alignment with the team, um, how how much they kind of understand about the people who will use the product, um, and kind of how how invested they are in in making something that matches those needs. Um, so, so I think a lot of it comes out you know rather after the fact. Um, that research is done. And and hopefully research is kind of like, you can be part of something long term and kind of see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But in, you know, in consulting where I am now, um, we don't really see where the product necessarily goes, or or what happens, you know, in this like large digital transformation experience. Um, But we do know that we're bringing teams together that weren't Um, didn't know quite how to do a large project before. And we know that they're um, able to talk about it and they have a direction and they have a roadmap and they are in a better place than they were before. So I think that that has impact, but you, you know, you do need to, um, you do need to bring these, (laughs) bring these measures up um, with, with leadership now and then and, um, the engineers that I've worked with tend to really like the um, value to effort matrix. So if you can map a set of features um, along how, how valuable it is to users and how much effort it would take on the development side, so you can work with the development team to do that, then you can have a grid that shows you which features have high impact for users and are high value and are not too much effort to build. <laughs> or a little bit of effort, and that kind of is like an aha moment, I think. And yeah, it really helps
0: for prioritizing for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's in, it's in a format that is very understandable, and makes decisions more clear. So I think our role is really helping people make decisions in a better way. Yeah, it's
0: interesting you say that. You know, also when you said earlier about you know maybe helping them helping you know, the organization not build something that maybe they shouldn't. But in many ways, it's sort of about reducing risk in a lot of uh-huh. cases. But you're also saying some things in there that happen to, you know, it would depend on the organization, how it's sort of defined. But there's you're doing a number of things that maybe a product manager might do in some cases, uh-huh. depending on you know, the size of the team and how maybe mature they're you know, their, their organization is. So how do you work together, um, you know, in this role or in previous, what do you find, how, how are you working with the product manager?
1: Mm-hmm. It, it depends on who, like what, what role they're, they're in at different organizations. They play, um, there are various iterations of a project manager or product manager or product owner, or there's a lot of different words. Uh, and I think it, it comes down to, you know, who, who is responsible for kind of the vision of the project and where it's going. Um, and it really helps when there is a person who is responsible for that. Um, sometimes project managers play more of the role of kind of making sure that all the meetings happen on time and notes are, you know, given and, um, kind of coordinating all the different people, um, And then sometimes the tech lead might take on that role of, you know, the product vision person. Um, And sometimes nobody's taking on that role and it's really tough. (laughs) So, um, and then sometimes UX research takes on that role and can pull people together around that vision.
0: And it is well suited for which brings up another thing, which is that, you know, UX research today, you don't see we don't quite have a seat at the table in a lot of cases or at least like you know higher up in the organization Mm -hmm. Um, research still seems to be uh sort of nestled under something else you know whether it's sort of design or product in a lot of places not everywhere of course um depends on maturity but in those cases you know and or in your case when maybe you don't have you know somebody who's really taking on the product vision what do you do to sort of exert your influence and what could other people maybe do, you know, any tips for how that they can really make sure that the research gets, um, you know, has impact ultimately that Mm -hmm. it gets adopted. Uh,
1: I think the most important thing you can do is bring people into the research process with you. Um, So, so they are kind of helping make these decisions along with you um, because that, that can really help with buy-in. And if you just have sort of, you give them, you know, insights or ideas and say, this is where it should go. You know, they, they may not adopt that or be very interested, but if you can say, Hey, can you help me figure out where this should go? And I can help give you these tools and let's figure this out together. um, What this product should be. And then they really get into it and are excited about it. That's great. So,
0: (laughs) So along the lines of recommendations, you yeah, know, I'd like to maybe pivot and talk about what some you know, what the listeners could do if they want to get into UX. So that could be students, could be early career, you know, mid-career, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you know, the, the needs are a little different, right? If you're a student, you have some time to plan and maybe do some upscaling ahead of time, take some classes, you know, whatever it may be. You can sort of structure that. If you're already working, then it's more a question about maybe how do you reframe your experience to get into tech? So maybe first for students, you know, is there anything that stands out that you would recommend that they do? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, gaining some work experience is critical, before you graduate, because no one will see anything that you did as a student for like your, you know, if it's a dissertation, whatever it is, as work experience. Um, even if it's applied, even if it's a research project, you know, for a company, if it's for a company, maybe they'll give you a job afterwards. But <laughs> barring that, usually, you know, it's it's interesting background, but it's not work. Um. So if you can, as a student, you can get internships that are not available once you graduate. Um, so I, I strongly recommend taking advantage of those and your graduate programs, or if you're an undergrad, your, your program will not help you necessarily <laughs> in finding these. So you'll have to find them on your own. Um, word of mouth, you know, a lot of big companies have them. Um, and I, I can't stress enough, just, you know, I wish I'd had that. Uh, that would have helped me a lot and uh, you can also start taking courses in some other departments you know um, go check out um, it would help it would have helped me to have a little better background in statistics honestly so make friends with your sociology buddies and go figure <laughs> out what they're doing because uh, it's really helpful to kind of at least know what the quantitative side looks like so that you can do that if you if you need to pull on that tool later you can do that um, there are some programs uh, in, in computer science that are focused on kind of product and agile product and management. Um, business school might have something related to like, you know, strategy um, could be really useful. Uh, so so I recommend, you know, get out of your bubble and go see what else is on campus. Um, design, of course, the design program might be um, a great place to start to Agreed. find something that would help.
0: And how about for those who are working? Any tips for maybe reframing their experience on a resume mm-hmm. and a portfolio?
1: Oh, sure. Well, um, if you're not in the UX research space um, and you want to get in, and you have research experience, that is great. Um, I've worked with amazing UX researchers who've come from biological science, who've come from you know neuroscience, or um, all kinds of business, all kinds of different backgrounds, right? And they all have in common being able to take, you know, collect data and then critically think about it. Um, so if you can package up your experience in that way, um, that goes a long way. You know, can you, put, can you put a case study on your portfolio that says, what's the problem? What did you do about it? What was the impact? You know, if, if you can show that you did good research that fits that form, I don't think it has to be in the UX space necessarily. Um, but it sure does help to have a few UX type projects on your portfolio.
0: Yeah. And you on your own website, you know, which I encourage everybody to look up. There's, you know, uh, in the FAQ section, you talk about the portfolio and it's, you know, it's a good breakdown of it. Um, you mentioned one other thing in there that I wanted to touch on, which is strategy. So, hmm. you know, maybe this isn't, um, you know, maybe this isn't for like sort of a junior UX research role, but as we sort of mature, there's other opportunities for us as UX researchers. Uh-huh. Uh, we can continue on in the UX research path and, and, and maybe specialize. We could also venture out. You know, I myself at this time, I'm spending more time in the product management space. But uh-huh. um, strategy is also a really interesting area. And so maybe do you want to say anything particularly about strategy, but also about maybe just, you know, sort of career path as a UX researcher?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that uh, as you kind of get into a, a, a mid-career you know, place, you have more choices. You can say, what do I really want to specialize in now? And, um, and, and there are quite a few more roles coming up that have strategists in the title, or people are becoming kind of UX research strategists or lead strategists. And I think this, this has to do with kind of, um, uh, you, you know, basically strategy is choice making. How do you make a choice? How do you decide how to spend resources? And there are various approaches to this. Um, I took a great course with IDEO on um, on strategic decision making, uh, or I think it was called Design Strategy, mm-hmm. um, Roger Martin's course, and it was um, it's a great you know framework for kind of thinking about how you make choices, um, and that is pretty much what we do. You know, we we help people make choices. Um, informed by data. And uh, it's data that we actually collect, you know, on on the ground, outside the organization. And uh, so hopefully it's a better informed choice. Um, But strategy is absolutely a direction that UX researchers can go in. Um, I've also seen quite a lot of uptick in kind of realizing that anthropologists and social scientists are good at Um, figuring out kind of ethics within technology and uh, there are a lot more roles kind of for people who are um, thinking deeply about the ethical implications of technological decisions and I think that's a good space for us as well. So I think the technology world is really opening up to what anthropologists can bring um, and realizing kind of that that holistic understanding of human behavior and human motivations is useful in a lot of different areas, and not just in you know UX research specifically.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, with every yeah. company at this point, not just the tech companies per se, you know, not just the, the Googles and, and Facebooks, but with every company really now trying to build digital products, mm-hmm. you know, the job market is just, you know, exploding for us. And so it's a really great place to be. And so, yes. you know, in in closing, maybe, um, I guess one is, you know, is there anything I, I didn't ask that you think would be good to bring up? Uh,
1: I, maybe just um, to reiterate that Graduate programs in anthropology are doing great work by training anthropologists, and then they are not doing great work in helping them figure out what to do with their training. And so I I think there's a big space there for graduate programs to think about, you know, um, doing, you know, a a hybrid um, curriculum with maybe a design program or technology, putting something together that fits this space in a way that kind of shows anthropology majors and graduate students, that there is a path. Uh, there are many different paths and, um, and getting them the training and getting them prepared for that job market because it is a big market. And so far people are kind of figuring it out on their own. There's a few programs, but not many.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, what would be very interesting in there too, just to maybe to add on to that. I am I'm personally interested in teaching like, you know, cross-listed courses across, broadly speaking, art or design, business, and social sciences. And I would like to see all those you know, people brought together because not only, um, not only is the subject matter useful for the different you know, players in that space, but imagine getting them together early on very much like a product team. Mm-hmm. Right and sort yeah. of that actual sort of real applied training of working together across disciplines you know it's it's really right space you know for for innovation within education, so I hope somebody yeah. does it
1: <laughs> there's there's a space there for sure
0: Great. so um is there anything you're involved in that maybe you want to tell tell everybody about
1: well um there i, I I'm working on a, an early project for uh, possibly grad programs. And I, I really do feel, of, um, strongly about helping students, uh, figure out a means to gain full employment. Um, because I think they, they, you know, you, you don't need to be, um, poor forever and you can, <laughs> you can have a job and that's okay. Um, uh, so, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but kind of an early project for that. Um, and also I'd, I'd like to just call out, you know, the Epic website, ethnographic Praxis and industry conference, our EpicPeople.org, has great resources on all of these things um, from like getting started to really people who've thought very deeply about a certain subject. Um, and then um, the Napa design by anthropologist blog has fantastic resources for um, people starting out in this space. So I would recommend those. Um, there are also a few organizations that help, you know, PhDs transition to industry. So, um, you know, uh, there's Beyond the Professoriate. Um, the professor is in, of course, has some resources. And um, From PhD to Life is another one. So there there are a lot of kind of people in this space who can help you um, move more into industry, or at least, and there's a lot of free resources, too. Um, so... You know, there's there's a lot of there's a research project to be done um, if you're getting started, but there are also people who can help you kind of figure this out.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for sharing all those. And a note on Epic. So, just um, you know, the past day or two, I think it was that they released you know all the 2020 materials. Yeah. So definitely check those out. Great. Yeah. And where can everybody find you?
1: Uh, well, my website is uh, rachelfleming.net. And I have links to things that I've written and um, uh, a big, long FAQs page about UX research because I thought I should just, instead of repeating myself all the time, just put it on the web.
0: And it's <laughs> a great piece. It. And, and along with you know, the American Ethnologist article, definitely uh, one of the reasons I reached out to you first. I really thank you for you know, coming on, being the first guest, your great first guest for this. I know you're passionate about the same thing. So Rachel, thanks very much.
1: Well, thanks so much for starting this. I think it's needed and it will have a great future.
0: Thank you all for listening to the anthro to ux podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotoux.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.